Welcome to Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street, where each week we take a light-hearted look into the stories and individuals that make up the wonderful world of hospitality. Today's guest is the wonderful Brenda Collin, Executive Vice President for Europe at Preferred Hotels and Resorts. Coming up on today's show... Brenda proves that mothers know best. My mother had said to me, you know, if you want it, you'll fight hard enough for it. Phil contemplates a move into film. Well, that'll get the the viewers and the listeners up because they'll just come and want to see the dog. And Brenda reveals what it takes to start a business. I guess so. There must be some madness there, Phil. All that and so much more as we chat through Brenda's story and journey to date. Brenda has forced a superb career so far and is clearly a force for good within hospitality. If you're enjoying the shows, we'd love for you to hit subscribe and give us a like and a share across your favourite social networks. Let's share those stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the next episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today we welcome someone who I know is prominent in the industry as well as doing an awful lot of work for the uh, Institute of Hospitality. So today I'm super delighted to welcome the Senior Vice President of Europe for Preferred Hotels, Brenda Collin. Good morning, Phil. Thanks very much for having me. You're very welcome. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yes, busy as ever. I'm looking forward to the budget announcement this afternoon and hearing more oh, yeah. about what the government's got to say to us. Yes, indeed. Well, I'd, I'd read something uh, fairly depressing. This is the only depressing thing I will say <laughs> this morning around the fact that there are literally lots and lots of businesses in hospitality who need a positive budget to survive. Absolutely. We certainly do. I mean, cash preservation can only last so long. So um, yeah. I feel for all of my uh, colleagues, friends and businesses within the industry, it's it's been a tough year. But I think and I hope and pray that we'll get through it and the government will do the right thing and, and support the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's uh, there's... I think the one good thing that's come out of all of this is that it it feels that the the industry has never been more united. Absolutely. And I think we've all rallied round. We've all got together. We've never spent so much time with each other. And that's that's been fantastic. So even through the challenges, we've made lifelong friends. So one of the positive outcomes, I guess, from from the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. But where in the world are you today? Well, I am right now, I'm in Nottingham, uh, speaking to you from a a Regis office because I can't rely on my internet connection being so stable at home. (laughs) But normally I would be based in our London office in Piccadilly, which I've spent the last seven years working with preferred hotels. So that's my normal base unless I'm traveling. So that can cover anywhere really in Europe, uh, UK, Ireland, Nordics, Netherlands, more recently taken on France, Germany, Eastern Europe. So, yes, can't wait to get back to travelling and it's desperately missed, I have to say. Yeah, I have to say that your your job title might be the most impressive that I've had on the show. I mean, (laughs) you're not just a vice president, you're a senior vice president and of Europe. I'm just going to leave it there and cut out the rest. (laughs) Well, I I think, you know, titles are one thing, but, you know, delivering on your promises to to your clients is probably the most important thing and that's what really matters to me you know it's it's not about titles it's about doing your job doing it well and having fun along the way yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more right well let's let's go all the way back to the the beginning how did you get into oh. hospitality in the first place oh my goodness well i'm one of those people that has always had 
the idea that I wanted to work in hospitality right from a very young age. And I don't really know where that came from. And I can I can only assume it's somewhere in the DNA because throughout the pandemic, my brother was doing a little bit of research on family history. And it turns out back at the beginning of the 1900s, some of the, the family tree brought up two characters, one that went to Texas and opened a hotel there in the 1900s in Galveston. Right. And another that went to Australia and opened a hotel. So the, it must be somewhere in the blood. But I actually grew up in, in very rural Ireland in a little county called County Leitrim in the west of Ireland. Okay. Very remote. It was on a farm. So I was one of six kids, as Irish families traditionally back then were, were quite large. My mother was a farmer and my father was a, t- a secondary school teacher. So... Life was pretty quiet, apart from the farm animals. We never really traveled anywhere. So we were pretty much, I suppose, we stayed within our territory, if you like. So, you know, we went, I went to school with people who really just didn't really want to move further from their home. They were very local and homely people. They worked in the local community and they didn't really have any aspirations to travel. And I remember thinking, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm, I have this massive world around me. I'm in the country. I have all this space, yet I've never felt so claustrophobic. And I really wanted to be able to travel, see the world and, and experience life and, and get out there. So yeah. I remember dreaming and dreaming over those long, hot summers about traveling the world, working in hospitality and you know that that was where my my mind was going. I was. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Just yeah. one one second. You said long hot summers, but mm-hmm. you were in Ireland, right? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> no, this is this is climate change in action. I mean, I remember <laughs> many many long summers. I mean, in Ireland, the school holidays are quite a long stretch, so they're from the end of June through to the end of August. So, yeah, we'd spend all summer playing on the farm. It was always warm. It was lovely. But uh, yeah, it doesn't seem to be that way these days, Phil. But uh, that's how it was. Yeah. I can 100% relate to that that kind of claustrophobia around. I, I grew up on an island on the west coast of Scotland. Right. And I could not wait to get <laughs> away and yes. out there. And even, you know, even then getting out there and away was just going to a city. Yes. You know, and I, I went to uni in Glasgow. And then I continued to get further claustrophobia and wanted to go and see the world yeah so I, I 100% relate to that it's, it's it's interesting and I wondered why nobody else seemed to feel that way was it just me yeah. no but I, I was lucky because when I went into my teens my uncle had um, a pub in the local town and it was a Cayley house and had lots of Irish music and every Thursday evening there'd be a, a Cayley night and at weekends and in the summers there was lots of festivals and there was a great buzz around town you know so people would flock to the pubs unlike now but uh, in those days that was and and the atmosphere and the energy was fantastic you know it was just really good learning ground it was fun and it was high energy and I absolutely enjoyed many many nights working non-stop uh, through the night <laughs> in some parts and and you know it was great fun because you could have up to 30 orders on the go at any one time and wow yeah You'd be calculating all the cost of all the items in your head before you could uh, ring them into the till. And there was nothing more fun than making, you know, when you put the numbers in, that it was the same figure that was in your head. So it, it was it was always fun. So I guess that that's, was a good grounding for going into hospitality. Yeah. They were really community-centric places as well, though, weren't they? That, like, I mean, the, the pub has always, I suppose, had that 
capability to be that way. But in some instances, it's it's it can be a bit soulless. And I, I I'm hoping that that's another byproduct of what we've been through is is that there'll be this real sort of rise again of the of the pub as a, a community hub. I I hope so. I mean, I think Ireland has always traditionally had that sort of environment. Yeah. Always been somewhere to go to meet people, to have that connection uh, and to enjoy yourself. And yeah, let's hope that spirit stays alive as we as we get through the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, well, um, I did my leaving certificate in Ireland and I applied to what is now GMIT, which is Galway and Mayo Institute of Technology, for a degree in hotel and catering management. And I also had to put down on my application a teaching place at uh, UCG, which is what my father had wanted me to do as a kind of a backup or an insurance, you know, just in case I didn't get what I wanted. So back then, it was actually quite hard to get into hospitality in Ireland. You needed a lot of points, good grades. And the course I applied for, I was lucky enough to get the required uh, points and grades, but I was one of 500 people being interviewed for 30 places on that course that year. Wow, my word. (laughs) Times have changed, sadly. (laughs) Somehow need to get back to, you know, to that stage of hospitality as, as, as a career of choice and people really wanting to to apply to the industry and being proud to do that. But back then, that's how it was in Ireland. The day of my interview for that place was the exact same day that uh, I had to confirm or or decline my place at UCG. To do that, you had to pay a deposit, which back then, £50 or something was, you know, reasonably large sum of money for, for, for a student. So, so I said, no, I am absolutely not prepared to confirm the place at UCG because I don't want to be a teacher and I will take the risk that I will get my place on this course. So my mother had said to me, you know, if you want it, you'll fight hard enough for it. And I went into that interview thinking that I've got to get this place. This is what, this is my dream. And if I have to, I'll go back and repeat my leaving cert and try again next year. So I did yeah get the place and it was four wonderful years it was a fantastic city to study in it did rain a lot I have to say Uh, (laughs) one of those cities where you you go out in the morning with a t-shirt and you come back soaked in the afternoon so but it is a fantastic city it's a university city full of life and I'd highly recommend anyone to to study there but Those were the best years of our lives. You know, we were very poor students. We spent most of our weekends working in one hotel or another to pay our way. And yeah, the the people I graduated with are still best friends today. So really, really enjoyed those years. I think it's such a, I mean, you know, you you don't obviously need a degree to come into this industry. But I think the university experience, notwithstanding the, the academic element of it, but actually the life experience it gives you because for you know for a lot of people that's the first moment that you're fully away from home yes that what that brings to your life I don't think you can put a value on very much so I mean I think that it was the first part of that dealing with that claustrophobia and getting away from home and getting out there and experiencing life and uh, seeing things differently and absolutely back then you know 30 years ago there weren't really apprenticeship options or there wasn't really a direct entry into hotel management. So the only way to do it was through a university or a degree or diploma course. But how times have changed and uh, it's great to see that there 
you know, today there are lots of different routes for people to get into the industry. And mm. what we need to foster and encourage, you know, that you don't have to spend four years doing a degree. There's many different options for people to work in our fabulous industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Here, here. Yeah. So that was 1991 when I graduated. And back then, Ireland was going through quite a deep recession and there was literally no jobs in hospitality. So all of us who graduated pretty much got on a plane to another country to go and find work. And I did exactly that. I came over to the UK and started work pretty much the very next day for Hilton down in Portsmouth. And I stayed with Hilton for about eight years, really, really enjoyed my time there. So I started at the Hilton in Portsmouth under a general manager called Ron Cox, who was absolutely fantastic leader. And I shortly, not long after, moved over to Southampton in Hilton into a more senior front office role. And then after that, I moved up to Oxford to work at an associate hotel that Hilton owned, which was at the time a Hilton associate that had a few around the UK, which they later sold and uh, they sold off that property. So during that phase of the sale, I was acting GM to take it through the sale. So it was really interesting time to go through the whole due diligence process and understand Mm. what's involved in that. But I have to say, I did not enjoy the role of general manager. It's it's much more difficult than it looks, uh, managing people, (laughs) particularly during a sale, because obviously you're limited as to what you can spend or, you know, you can't make any plans. You have to contain everything. So um, you're in limbo. Exactly. Yeah. So, but it was interesting. It was an interesting time. And once that sale had gone through, I moved into Hilton Regional Sales based in London. So I was based at the Kensington Hilton and worked for a wonderful lady called Claudia Ross. And I covered Kensington, Olympia, Croydon. Those were the days, you know, we drove around London in our little rover and went to see clients, you know, in the whether those were corporate clients, leisure clients, etc. And it was a really, really good training school. I mean, Hilton are a fantastic company for training and for standards. And it's really, you know, by doing the job day to day that you perfect the skills that you, you know, you need uh, in a sales environment. So Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. And then what happened after that? I, it was actually Claudia who had moved on from Hilton and she had moved to a company called Utel who were then the largest hotel representation company in the world. She offered me a job. So she said, come join me at UTEL. I've got a great job for you. And uh, so I joined Claudia and I started working in the UK region, looking after all the hotels that came under the umbrella within UTEL at the time. So that was account management. So just making sure that the hotels got what they needed from their membership. Yeah. And then a couple of years after that, I had my, my first child and my son, and I moved into a slightly different role. So I started working on development within the Middle East. So that was bringing on more members into the UTEL portfolio, but based from London. So that was quite interesting. And the, the company was taken over in the meantime. So it was changing and evolving. And then about a year after that, the company got taken over again, at this time by Pegasus Solutions. And (laughs) so within a five year period, yes, it was sold several times. So it was it was interesting because, you know, Pegasus bring in the technology arm. So they were selling 
products and services that were way ahead of its time. So it was, you know, it was interesting to see that sort of period of time that it takes from start to finish. So it can be years to get a deal from from start to finish, unlike today's environment where, you know, you can be working on something for a couple of weeks or a couple of months, but certainly not for years, you know, before you can convert a, a contract, etc. Yeah, that's incredible, actually, that, yeah. that, that something could take that long. Well, I, yeah. I guess, you know, in, in even in uh, central reservation systems worlds today, you know, if you go into a contract, you're likely to go into that for five or 10 years. So, you know, as part of the process from a business development perspective, you're looking at renewal of those contracts and pitching at the renewal time. So that can take that right. yeah. to get it to that stage. But in the last phase of my time there with Pegasus, as it was then, I was selling pretty much uh, software. And what happened was a lot of the Utah clients that I previously looked after were getting a little bit uh, forgotten. And they would ring me up and say, please help, because Pegasus were really focusing on the technology side and maybe less so on the on the Utah representation side. So a colleague was actually made redundant and we got together and decided that there wasn't really much competition in the UK market. So we decided to get together and form a UK-based representation company from scratch, a complete startup. <laughs> Right. And then I was actually pregnant with my second son. And uh, so I, I actually think now, looking back, it was the hormones. It was the madness <laughs> inside my body as to why would I leave a, a wonderful job with a great, secure company to go to a startup that's a nothing that nobody knows uh, and, and started from scratch. But at- uh, the naivety of youth. <laughs> It definitely, I think there was perhaps a little bit of that, you know, and I guess, but also the passion that, you know, there is an opportunity here, the, the, the vision that there is a way forward, there is a, a niche for a new company to, you know, to get out there and deliver. Yeah, I think you, you don't take uh, a risk like that, do you, unless there's a, a, a great ounce of belief in what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. I think you have to have the knowledge of the job. You have to be pretty confident that you can deliver. And also, I think, you know, the clients at Utel, the few that started to join us uh, at the beginning, they trusted us. And, and that was the most important thing that I learned that what your performance and what you've delivered in the past and your reputation is what takes you on to the next, the next stage and the next level. So there was a couple of hoteliers that without a doubt, without said absolutely we will join your business and leave our current provider and uh, we started there so we started with one hotel and grew it up to a couple of hundred within a few years so but you know it was tough we started with one pdf with no funding (laughs) (laughs) and uh, the realization I guess that you know uh, one of us had to bring in the sales otherwise you don't pay the mortgage you know so what Uh, what one of us went looking for funding whilst the other dealt with the day-to-day operational and, and sales and building the business from scratch so it was pretty hectic you know it was hectic days there was a lot to do everything from building a website you know collateral uh, marketing material making the calls so you you pretty much worked every hour of the day that you could and that was quite a juggling act you know with with young kids and juggling between nursery and getting them to nursery, picking them up and then 
getting proposals out and yeah it's 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 not easy as as a, a young mother yeah doing a you clearly like a challenge um i guess so there must be some madness there phil I'm, yeah. <laughs> but to make matters worse uh, my husband took a job up here in nottingham and so i was left with the task of holding the babies holding the business and also trying to sell the house because we obviously had to to move up to nottingham so yeah it, you know it, looking back it was complete craziness and i wouldn't put myself through it again but we got through it and, you know, you, you, you move on and things sort themselves out in time. But yeah. I, I did that for eight years and I kind of put my heart and soul into it, put my energy, everything into it. And, and it was successful. But the reality was, is, is, is that it was pretty much a UK company. And I guess I was maybe feeling that claustrophobia again <laughs> and uh, wanted to reach out and do something bigger and bolder and a little bit more exciting. And, you know, the challenge we had with the UK company was that it purely was a UK infrastructure. So you didn't have the ability to tap into, you know, the US markets or help hotels with China business, for example, et cetera. You right. Know, you were kind of limited to the infrastructure and the resources that you had. So I had to spend about a year managing my exit because it was actually much tougher than I had realized. And perhaps in hindsight, I should have paid much more attention to my contract when I signed it all those years ago. Uh, it's always the way though, isn't it? Whenever uh, you move from one, you just think, yeah, you, you, you're, you're thinking forward. You're not thinking about the, the little niggly things that, the, that, that you're leaving behind. Absolutely. Well, you know, I think if anyone is planning a startup, then just pick up the phone and ring me because I'll be more than happy to tell you all of the pitfalls and all of the things to look out for and don't make the same mistakes I did. So yeah, I certainly learned a lot. I learned things I didn't want to learn, but it certainly gave me deep insights into every area of the business. So coming from Hilton Hotels, which is very much operational on the floor, then moving into UTEL, which is very much behind the scenes and the infrastructure of sales and distribution and representation. And then to take both of those things and, and really launch a new business was, I guess, rounding up skills in all areas that, you know, maybe not a master of any, but certainly a very broad range of insight into, into most of the areas. So, yeah, yeah, it was interesting and learned a lot. But yes, it was, it was time to move on. So I was incredibly fortunate to be in the right place at the right time to be offered a job with Preferred Hotels. And Preferred Hotels is a family-owned company, owned by... Right family out of Newport Beach in California and it was it was wonderful to learn about the family the culture the business how they've grown the business and taking it when they took over the company 16 years ago to what it is today and, and how they've managed that growth so yes so I think what seven eight years later um, I'm still there have enjoyed every moment of every day despite the ups and downs and challenges it's been wonderful wonderful journey and I absolutely respect and admire the Ubrath family for you know the, the, the vision that they've got and how they've enhanced the company's portfolio you know right across the world so yeah, yeah it's that's where I am today. So for for people who don't necessarily know what what the company do or are responsible for can you just give us a kind of quick snapshot of what that involves? 
Absolutely, yes. So, so Preferred Hotels and Resorts, it's the, the world's largest independent hotel brand. So we represent about 700 hotels, resorts, residences, and independent hotels and individual hotel groups across about 80 different countries. So our, our role, I guess, is to bring strategic advantage to hotel owners and operators and management companies. And we do that through, I guess, global operating scale. So we have the sales infrastructure. We focus on corporate, leisure and my sales. We have integrated marketing solutions. We have revenue management and, of course, global connectivity through, you know, distribution, technology, etc. So we have best in class systems and we have the infrastructure that supports the 700 members across the world. So that's pretty much what we do day to day. Yeah, sounds uh, fully encompassing. (laughs) it's very very interesting because obviously we you know here in the UK we have about 28 members and you know it's it's been challenging particularly through the pandemic as to how you can best serve those customers and how you can help them through the challenges that they're facing so you know it's all great when business is coming into the country and there's international arrivals but when times are tough it's you know how can we work together and partner together to maximize the opportunities that are out there and I guess that's one of the wonderful things about preferred hotels is that I can tap into the global infrastructure the people associates right around the world and they have the knowledge they have the expertise they have the contacts and they're able to make a difference in that hotel's business and that's something I haven't experienced before so that's Mm. a real advantage in terms of I guess our success is that together we help each other and our hotels be successful. Yeah because it's amazing isn't it when uh, that word partner when that works how the sparks can fly. Yes, I think it's important that partnerships, that both parties see and understand the partnership and that both parties put energy into making sure it's successful. Mm. And we're very lucky because we have the most wonderful partner member hotels. And, you know, a lot of those relationships are longstanding over 5, 10, 15 years. So they know, they understand the business, they understand how we work. But even new members, you know, we we spend a lot of time making sure that they're familiar with all aspects of the company, that, you know, we train them, we support them, encourage them, and make sure that they're up to speed so that they can get the best use out of the people and the resources and the tools that we offer. So it's really just to enhance revenue and maximise their return on investment. Yeah. And what does uh, a senior vice president of Europe get up to? <laughs> so, uh, well, I guess pre-pandemic, my job is, is pretty much twofold. It's firstly to develop the footprint of the company across the region. So adding hotels in key cities, perhaps, or, or destinations that we perhaps don't have a location or a hotel right now. So we look at demand. We look at where is there a gap? Where is there a need for a member property? So... Half of my time is spent really focusing on that. And of course, the other half is on our existing members, making sure that they're maximizing the infrastructure of preferred, they're getting the return on investment, they're happy with the partnership and that they renew their contracts. Uh, And so, you know, for us, it's all about retention because we very much care about the success of the partners that we have before we go out and add new partners, because that almost and our reputation is what matters so yeah so 
pretty much try and make it a 50-50 even split, but you know, it just depends on, on the focus at the time, really. No, absolutely. It sounds like a really interesting role, actually. It also sounds like you probably need to be pretty good with people. Well, <laughs> I think, yes, you meet all sorts in life. I think you have to enjoy meeting people. Uh, I think that's what hospitality is all about, whether you're, you're, you're running a hotel, you're in a department. Really, you know, any, any angle of hospitality does require an element of enjoying that part of the job. And, you know, a lot of my clients are long-term friends now. You know, I know their families. I, I know quite a lot about them. And I do try to make an effort to be just more than a, a supplier, if you like. So to understand mm-hmm. them, to, to work with them and to hear them and to listen because, you know, their, their opinion matters to me. So partnership is a very interesting and deep word. And I think perhaps, yeah, I mean, on reflection, that's something that from my very early days, that was an area that perhaps wasn't trained into us so well. It's something that I've acquired through experience and through longevity and, you know, just, yeah, doing the job. So I think that's an area that perhaps could be instilled more in the younger leaders that are coming through the ranks because that understanding people and how they think and how they feel and listening to them is one of the most important aspects of business. And I think if we did a better job understanding that in our youth, it would help us enormously, not just professionally, but personally, as we make our way through life. I couldn't agree more. I think this sort of concept of, you know, in a good partnership where there's respect in both directions, this is not this kind of railroad somebody into giving a price that is going to put them in danger or anything like that. You know, it's about, right, what works for you and what works for me. Mm-hmm. And that is when everybody wins. And I've never understood this kind of philosophy of, you know, trying to to steamroller the other side into something that that puts them under pressure. Mm-hmm. And I think I agree. I totally agree with the, the fact that this is something I I don't think is ever really trained anywhere. But actually, from a pure business perspective, it is a simple concept that could make a massive, massive difference into the way that the world works. Absolutely. And, um, you know, we hear a lot about EQ now as opposed to IQ. And you hear and you see a lot of that through leadership programs. But I guess the challenge is that that's more accessible to people more longstanding in their career rather than people starting early in their career. And I think that's Mm. where it would be of more benefit if we could really start injecting, you know, that that flavor and that curriculum and that subject uh, into the mindset of, of our younger leaders. Yeah, I totally, completely agree. One thing I picked up from your your journey so far is that the, you even mentioned by name that you were lucky enough to work for some really good people. It's it's massively important, isn't it, that you whatever level you're coming in at, that the people that you're working for are kind of they're leaders as opposed to dictators, and you're getting some learning out of it. Yes, absolutely, and I, I think I mentioned already. I think probably why. I feel I've been successful. It's certainly one of the reasons I have with Preferred Hotels in, in my current role, the quality of the people that the company employs. So they are very well-respected industry leaders in themselves. So all of my colleagues around the world are wonderful leaders, They're people I can go to for advice, for support, um, and, and for knowledge. So I, I feel very blessed to have access to 
such a wonderful team, you know, within within the company. But definitely, I've, I've worked with wonderful leaders, a lot of female leaders, actually, as I look back through my career. So some wonderful yeah. female bosses, all different characters and different insights and different leadership styles. But yeah, I, I, I don't think I've ever actually had a work, you know, had a bad leader. I think everybody brings different things to the party. And you learn different things from different people. Yeah. I think even when you get a bad one, you you it's teaching you what how not to be a leader, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I guess we've all bumped into one or two in in our time, and yeah, it, you know, it just maybe as a, a bit of a reminder, never do that, or you know, always treat people with respect. And um, I was yeah. listening to one of your other podcasts, one of your more recent ones, actually. It's good standard. I like that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> They were talking about, you know, that it's a very small industry. So look after everybody, nurture them, because no doubt you are going to bump into that person again. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it, it's clear, you know, that you also have this philosophy around the fact that you don't ever stop looking for a mentor, whatever level you get to. You know, somebody out there knows more than you on some on the subject that you need to to be in command of. And I think the the day that you wake up and you say to yourself, "Well, I don't need a mentor anymore," then mm-hmm. I think um, I think it's the beginning of the downturn in your career. And it's clear that you place an awful lot of emphasis still to this day on on you know finding people that bring new knowledge to you. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, in my early career, as I look back and reflect, I didn't have a mentor. It was very much right. gut feeling. I did everything by how I felt I didn't really ask people's advice it was this is this is my view that's what I'm doing and I did it and that's all very well and good if things go well <laughs> but you know you're never going to be a, a perfect and right 100% of the time so I think on reflection some of the decisions I made could have been enhanced by you know, seeking advice from people. So I am a big advocate of having a mentor, particularly the younger generation coming through uh, to nurture, to look after them, to make sure that they get the right support, guidance, advice. And there are so many wonderful people in our industry that give their time and support people and are there and available as mentors. So I encourage anybody coming through that doesn't right now have a a mentor to to seek one out but you know you you don't have to have a formal program and I know the Institute of Hospitality uh, runs the Mentor Me program and there are uh, Springboard have their mentorship program as well but I I don't think you have to have a, a formal mentorship program in place you know you can actually pick up the phone and call anyone yeah uh, the, you know if, if somebody was to pick up the phone to you phil and, and ask for your advice you'd be the first person i know to to say yeah sure i'll give you 10 minutes or half an hour or whatever you need you know yeah 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 and so actually that that kind of style of mentoring fits in better for me to help people out occasionally you know when they need it rather than having a, a structured mentoring program where you have a, a set meeting and a set goal and plans etc although that said i have had those and i still have three mentors that i've had for several years now and just watching their progression a mentee sorry that i've looked after for the last few years and it's great to see and you know you get the occasional phone call uh, particularly through covid and pandemic you know the ups and downs and sometimes it's not about career advice. It's about personal advice. It's about support. It's about just being there, you know, so. Absolutely. 
Well, that, I mean, that's the the thing. I think the uh, we definitely need to to foster a culture where it's it's absolutely okay to ask for help in any form. You know, not just with your career, but whatever's whatever's going on in your life. And that's been polarized by the time we live in, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I, I knew that you placed some emphasis on on mentoring. I knew that you you obviously uh, are a mentor yourself as well. Yeah, you you also seem to be doing quite a lot of charity work. If I've got that right. <laughs> well, I do a, a little bit in in between, yeah, day and night. Sometimes, um, Hospitality Action is my main charity that I focus on. It's our industry's charity. They're absolute godsend particularly during the pandemic uh, where they've been mm-hmm. people uh, to offer mental support for their mental health financial support uh, for people that truly are desperately in need of grants uh, to help them through the pandemic uh, where they've lost their jobs through no fault of their own so to to have somewhere to be able to go you know and feel that you're not alone has been important and hospitality action do an outstanding job and so you mentioned earlier, Phil, you know, the industry has rallied around and uh, supported each other. And we've seen that through the hospitality action where a lot of people not just fundraise, but they donate their own personal money to make sure that that resource is going to other people in the industry to get them yeah. to difficult times. So, yes, very close to my heart. And it's great to see hospitality action are going out and recruiting lots more ambassadors to help and support the great work that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And I've still not had Mark on the show. He's the <laughs> only one that I've not had. So well, um, this is a shout out to you, Mark. Get on here. <laughs> absolutely. And he does a fantastic job and his team are wonderful. And um, I guess it's probably Bill because he's been so busy. Oh, absolutely. You know, trying yeah, to do I, <laughs> He's everywhere. I mean, you know, in a, and I mean that in the, the, the nicest possible way you know they're, they're very very active I think more so now than ever before in terms of their social presence or maybe it's just because I'm I'm more aware of it and more you know I see it more and maybe maybe it's just that but um I love how front and center they've been through this because yes. they've never been more needed right definitely and I think it's it's so difficult because a lot of the events that bring in the the funds haven't been able to take place so they they truly are relying on the generosity of people to help industry colleagues so yeah they have a you know quite a lot of events throughout the year whether that's banquets or or cycling events etc but their latest one coming up is called to hell and back and I saw that it's uh yeah so they're they're currently recruiting individuals or teams of people to walk run or cycle i can't remember exactly how many miles or kilometers but About thirty thousand or something like that isn't like it? That. but i've already committed to it as, as uh, to get our team in london there's about 20 of us in the london office so to make sure that all of us come together to uh, to do our part to support people because as a team i think it's much easier you know and, and you kind of spur each other on i think every business all of us we need to do our part to help hospitality action particularly this year more than ever yeah i i also that's um that's something that's quite easy to just get involved with and it doesn't really matter how much or little you do whatever you kind of do is is going to make a, a a big big difference its barrier to entry is zero correct so every, there's no excuse really for anyone who has the capability to walk run cycle you know whatever to just get on it and get involved 
Absolutely. And certainly get us away from our laptops and make sure we get ourselves fit and healthy, uh, particularly as we return to business and hopefully getting back to travel again. So, yeah, a good way to kickstart our mental health and our physical health as well. Absolutely. Well, I mean, not to underplay the, the importance of physical health in mental health as well, but it's it's massive. It can make a huge difference to to maintaining mental health. No, you're absolutely right. I think one of the challenges I'll have when I'm getting back into full-time travel again is actually fitting into all my clothes, you know? <laughs> being, <Yeah. laughs> sadly, being sat at a desk all day hasn't actually done any anything for, uh, for my waistline. So I definitely need to get back out there and I'm going to be doing a significant amount of those, uh, those steps for hospitality action for sure. Bless you. I have a dog and the, the dog is my lifesaver oh. uh, because she, she needs a walk, whatever. So, um, yeah, she's she's been responsible for getting me out of the house on days where I could have just been tied to my desk. So, yeah, yeah just get a dog. What type of dog <laughs> have you got, Phil? Uh, we have a beagle. Oh, they're so sweet. They're so sweet. Well, I have two Labradors, two big right. Labradors. So they do um, get me out of the weekends, but I have to take them to dog care during the day because as soon as I start to call, they're barking or, <laughs> you know. Right, of course. No, they're looking for a biscuit or something. So, uh, yeah, but I, I agree. I'm absolute dog lover and uh, they're really, really good for our mental health as well. Oh, totally. And thankfully, we have the world's quietest beagle because they're uh, they're also renowned as being howlers. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah um, but uh, thankfully, we have we definitely do have the quietest beagle. It's I mean, it's not scientifically proven, but it certainly feels like she barely ever makes a noise at anything unless she's playing. Um, I was so going to say, I haven't heard her on your podcast at all yet, so uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll have to introduce her as a guest at some time. Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll move over to video casts in the future, and um, well, that'll get the, the viewers and the listeners up, because they'll just come and want to see the dog. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's amazing how pets are so important to us, and in particular, dogs and uh we see that uh, throughout all of our hotels and, and our customers, you know, looking for dog-friendly hotels and yeah. run a marketing co- campaign called Preferred Pups and showcasing hotels that, you know, really go the extra mile in looking after our So, um Have you really? Yeah. Um, um, well, that's going on the list straight after we've come <laughs> off this chat. <laughs> Although, you know, it can be difficult to find a hotel that really does cater to allowing you to bring your dog, uh, having the right facilities on property, uh, yeah. and like a VIPs. But we do have some some great hotels, so I'll, I'll give you a few tips later, Phil. Fabulous. Yes. Well, uh, I'm in the market for, uh, for a place to go at the end of August. So, um, yes, we'll, we'll have a different discussion about that another sure. time. You're you're also, as I mentioned earlier on, and you've you've alluded to it as well. You're you're heavily involved with the uh, the IOH. What's what are you currently doing with them? Right. Well, currently, um, I chair the London branch of the Institute of Hospitality, so I, I took over that role last October. Yeah. And um, yeah, just regrouping our team, getting some young spirit into the committee, focusing on you know how do we how do we ignite the spark or, or the flame for London, for the industry, and what is that we need to do to support the members that are part of the Institute of Hospitality? So how do we add value? And that's what we're currently working on now is a series of events that can add value to their membership. And yeah, it's work in progress, but uh, we're, we're making good steps on, on that. 
Brilliant. Yeah. Well, it's actually a, a, that's been a noticeable noticeable change. That that word you use, young, and I know that we've got to be very careful in the in the way that we use words sure. these days. But I actually think it's it's massively important for any kind of organisation to be as inclusive as possible. I mm. um I believed in this before it became trendy, as it were. <laughs> but you know, somebody who's starting out in their career has as much of a, a voice and opinion as far as I'm concerned, as somebody who's been in the career for, for 40 years. You know, they're, they're the next generation, right? They're the ones that are going to take over from, from when we're all all past it. Absolutely. I think, you know, we're, we're missing a trick if we don't take time to, to listen to their views. And what, and what I find very interesting is that, certainly in our committee meetings, which we hold every month, a lot of the interesting and different angles come from those people that are, you know, uh, younger <laughs> uh, within yep. our committee and don't necessarily have the years of experience that we that, that some of the other committee members have, but they bring a different angle to uh, and a different aspect and a different opinion and a different view. So I always find that fascinating. So you know, we make sure to include everybody, to hear everybody, and if somebody doesn't speak, that we specifically ask them for their input, whether they're sometimes too shy or that they have an opinion but they just perhaps don't know how to best share it um so it's about encouraging that conversation and, and sort of counseling to, to 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 get that out of them because the ideas are there we just have to take time to listen to them yeah i think it's it's all about giving them the the forum and the confidence to to air opinions without fear of retribution right that without the the fear yeah. that actually somebody's going to lambast them or think that oh, that's a stupid idea or whatever you know the, the, even stupid ideas lead to conversations so you know let's have the conversations absolutely and i think uh, you know we've probably all been been in situations where we didn't speak up when we should have done and uh you know it's just really i suppose having the confidence taking the chance you know that even if it is a stupid question or a stupid <laughs> idea say it anyway you know who knows yeah could be the next best idea ever. So, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think it would just encourage people not to be afraid to make their contribution and, and to, you know, to contribute, to step up and, and to say how they feel and think because every, every point is valid. Yeah. Well, they, they say that every genius idea that was ever invented was initially ridiculed by those around them. So um, just bear that in mind. God, I'm yes. sounding intelligent today. That's... <laughs> That's risky. Yeah, I think for thought there, Phil, for sure. Yeah. Excellent. One question I love to ask everybody that comes on is, uh, do you have any funny stories from your career that you could share with us? One thing I do remember as a, as a student uh, when we were on a weekend work trip, if you like, uh, to earn our way in a little hotel out on the Connemara coast. Uh, so a group of us had uh, gone to work for an independent hotel out in the countryside. And we turned up and straight, we just dropped our bags. We were there for the weekend and we got to work. And I think the, the shift went well. And at about 11 or 12 o'clock at night, the owner said to us, okay, go find your, your accommodation. It's through that door. <laughs> So we all went with our bags through the door and through this hallway, uh, which 
you know, took us into this room and, I, and we looked around and I thought, oh, this looks fantastic. What fabulous accommodation that they've laid on for us. And there was a piano in the room. So I started playing the piano and people were opening drinks cabinet. And about five minutes later, as we were deep into exploring this lovely lounge, in walks the owner and says, what the heck are you guys doing? And it turns out that we were actually in his, uh, in his accommodation, not in the student accommodation. <laughs> that he had directed us through by saying go that way but didn't tell us exactly where we were going so that was a little bit embarrassing but it was fun I, I, I just I always remember that day and thinking gosh you know how naive we were thinking that all of this wonderful luxury had been laid on for us when in fact our accommodation was somewhere at the back in in the in the <laughs> in the outskirts of the building you know so uh, nice one yeah well at the um these are the things you learn as you as you go I, 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 wouldn't it be great to be naive again and uh, not that i mean there's always circumstances of course where you're you're incredibly naive uh, even at, well, at the stage of life that we've got to i think you're right you know oh to be a child again i mean to have a carefree life you know i think i think our student lives were the best days because even though didn't really have responsibility apart from to turn up and show up and and, and uh, study. We had fun and it was carefree with no responsibilities. And I absolutely, you know, would say to my own children, enjoy that time before you have to work and take on the responsibility of the world on your shoulders. Because even though they perhaps they look at things very differently than we do, or certainly did at, uh, at the time, but uh, because... Mm. They do have a different outlook and they are more reflecting in, on things like sustainability and climate change. And, uh, you know, they have they already do have a lot of weight on their shoulders, I think, at this very early age. But, yeah, I would just encourage them to go out and enjoy themselves before they take on the weight of the world. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, I couldn't couldn't agree more. And travel has a massive part to play in that for me. And the, well, I suppose the question to you is, have you scratched that claustrophobia itch <laughs> yes uh possibly i mean i think i'm in the ideal job i work for a wonderful family i get to travel the world when we don't have pandemics and um yeah. I get to meet so many people and see the most incredible hotels around the world get to experience wonderful food whether it's at one of our uk properties like the north coast up in lancashire uh, or whether we're right across the other side of the world you know i am completely spoiled rotten and, and i'm very grateful and humble and you know have a lot of thanks to the ubroth family for being so fabulous to work for and uh yeah just being a great company so fantastic that's great what would you say to somebody who was considering a, a career in hospitality Oh my goodness, I, I would have a lot to say, Phil, because I talk about yeah. <laughs> that. A different podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. Goodness me. I mean, what a great industry. I'm sure we've been decimated by the pandemic, but you know, times will, will get better. And it's just one of those industries that is just, without exception, I think you, you, you meet so many wonderful people. You can get to do so many great things. The, the skills that you learn are transferable across industry. And, you know, the perception right now is changing, I think, of our industry. And definitely don't hesitate to, to jump right in and, and start your career within the industry. There's, there's many, many people that will support you along the way. And be sure to get a mentor or somebody that you can speak to regularly that gives you that, steers you in the right direction to make sure that you're going to be successful. Yep. Bravo. Couldn't so, agree more. Uh, 
Let's go for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, look, I thank you very, very much for your, your time today and sharing your, your story with us. It's, uh, well, I suppose in some respects, it sounds almost like you're just getting started as well. You've, uh, you've certainly sounds like you've landed in your home ideal role. And, um, and when that happens, you can make a real difference. So I wish you all the very best for, for the years ahead. Thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciate you making time to speak with me today. Thank you. You're very, very welcome. Take care. Take care, Phil. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye. And there we have it. What a wonderful story so far from Brenda, told with real passion and humility, also demonstrating the power of being outwardly thinking. A huge thank you to Brenda for coming on and sharing. Don't forget, we'll be back at 8pm next Wednesday with more stories from hospitality. But until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.